Welcome to Christ the King, first Sunday of Advent. Uh, Advent is simply a word that means come. It's from the Latin word Adventus. Uh, the last words of the Bible are come Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus come quickly, amen. And Advent is the time of the church year in which we look forward to the day when Christ returns, when this age will end and a new age will begin. And that's how the Bible talks about our time. We are in one age and that age will come to a screeching halt when the Lord returns and a new and eternal and unending age will begin. And so that is the goal of Advent, to look forward to that time when he comes again. Uh, if you want a great description of the themes of Advent, you can do no better than our opening collect. You may want to look there. Uh, we actually believe there are two Advents. Jesus came first and he came in humility. And the result of his coming was our salvation by means of a cross. But he came, but he will come again. And his second coming will not be in humility. Instead, it will be in glory. And the result of his second coming will not be salvation, but vindication. He will come in glory to be our judge. And Advent Christians are Christians who have their eyes set on that time when Christ returns. For the new heavens and new earth that is promised throughout the scriptures. Secondarily, Advent Christians, because their eyes are set and their hopes are set on what is to come, Advent Christians are Christians who hold this world just a little bit more loosely than the rest. Jim Elliot was an Advent type of Christian. Maybe you know his story. Jim Elliot, born in 1927, immensely talented, uh, an athlete, a scholar, an actor, an academic. Uh, a graduate of Wheaton College, and as he graduated, he had this moment of discernment of what, he's going to do, what is he going to do with his life. And he decided to give his life to the mission work of the church, and in particular, he decided to devote himself to the proclamation of the gospel to people who had never heard the name of Christ. And so he packed up his bags and headed to Ecuador, and in particular, a nation, a people called the Akua people of central Ecuador. He's married. One daughter, Valerie, his wife, Elizabeth, and after three to four years of faithful service in, uh, to the Akua people, he was martyred by the very uh, same people he came to serve. Thanks to his wife, Elizabeth, and thanks to his copious journals that he took during his, his all-too-short life, uh, we know a little bit about his life. And in that crux of a moment when he was graduated from college and discerning what he was going to do with his life, he wrote this. You probably know this quote. October 28, 1949, Jim Elliott wrote, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. And that is the attitude of an Advent Christian, someone who knows that this life is passing. Uh, and he is no fool to lose, to give what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. An Advent Christian, and our, our hope during this season of Advent is that we'll become Advent Christians, the type of Christians who look for that city to come, and in doing so hold all the joys and all the sorrows of this life with just a little bit looser of a grip. Our passage this morning is a great Advent passage from Luke chapter 21. Please turn there. 
We're going to make three observations of this passage. This passage is going to help us become Advent Christians because it's going to help us loosen our grip on this age, on this mortal life. And then it's going to give us a clear hope of the age to come. So let's start. This passage begins by giving us a sober assessment of our current age. Now, let me tell you what this passage is not. First of all, the first, the opening uh, verses of this passage are not predictive. There are many people, well-intentioned, no doubt, who look at these passages and say, well, there's going to be signs and perplexity and roaring of nation, roaring of waves and think, ah, this is predicting. This is predicting that time when this age will come to a close and the new age will begin. Uh, and many go so far as to circle a date. The end of this age will be here and the last one I'm familiar, the last prediction I'm familiar with is from 2017, September 23rd. The, na- the date stands out because it's my anniversary. And uh, my wife said, boy, I hope the Lord doesn't return on our anniversary. Um, September, of course, that didn't happen. And uh, the problem with such readings of the scripture, of this passage in particular, is these are not predictive. This is not telling us, here are the signs. Look out for them so you'll know when Christ will return. These are not predictive signs of the coming age. Instead, they are descriptive signs of the current age. Remember, we are in an age. What are the characteristics of our current age? Well, here they are. This current age is marked by distress of nations that are in perplexity. This age is marked by warring of seas and waves. This age is marked by fear and fainting and foreboding. Uh, Maybe a word is dread. Dread is less specific than fear. It's just a general, kind of Murphy's Law. If something's gonna go wrong, it can go wrong. Have you ever opened the newspaper or read about the Omicron or Delta virus or just, and had a sense of dread? Dread is the proper response or a proper response for this tumultuous age. This is not predictive. This is descriptive of how we live. Wars are not predictors of the end. They are characteristics of this age. Pandemics are not predictors of the end of the age. They are descriptors of this current age. Why is it important? Why do we need to have a sober assessment of this current age? Well, an illustration. Whenever my kids go to middle school, I tell them, kids, you're gonna hate middle school. Middle school is awful. You're gonna go, your body's gonna go through changes, you're gonna try to figure out who you are, Uh, you're gonna learn who your friends are and who your friends are not, and it's all together just a miserable time of life. And of course, uh, my wife says, I love middle school. Uh, don't listen to your dad. Um, why, why this somewhat uh, overly pessimistic descriptor of middle school? Partially because I don't like middle school. <laughs> uh, but I want my kids to be ready. I want my kids to know that, look, you're going to go through times of loneliness. And that's, that's just part of life. That's part of growing up. I want my kids to know you're gonna go through seasons where you're gonna be in the outside and you're gonna find out there's some group that's formed and you're not a part of, you're gonna be on the outside looking in. And that's okay, that's a part of life. 
You see, if we know, if we have a sober assessment of what is to come, then we can persevere. Sentimentality instead leads to disillusionment. It's going to be great. You're going to love it. Only to find out that your sweet little elementary school is replaced by some cavernous uh, middle school. No, if we're, we know what's to come, then we can persevere. Now, Jesus was not morose. Uh, Jesus was a happy man. His followers were joyful men and women. But the Lord is clear-sighted about the challenges of this current age, isn't he? And this is one of many passages in which Jesus warns us, in this age, you're going to have trouble. Middle school is going to be tough. And I just wonder if you and I have a realistic expectation of this current age. We've been weaned on Disney and Marvel movies where everyone lives happily ever after. That does not resonate with Jesus' description of this current age, which is marked by distress, perplexity, and nations at war with fear, fainting, and foreboding. And here's the point, friends. If you know it's coming, you can persevere. If you have a sentimental view of the future, you're going to want to quit. So that's our first, again, to be Advent Christians, we have to hold on to this age with a little bit more of a loose grip. And Jesus gives us a very sober assessment of this current age. Now, um, let's move on to the second point. So this passage describes the many signs of this age, right? Fear, fainting, etc. And then it gives one sign and one sign only of the age to come. And this is in verse 27. And then you will see the Son of Man coming in power and in great glory. There will be one unmistakable, unavoidable sign that this age has come to a close. And you're not going to miss it. Don't worry. It will be when the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, returns and claims what is own, and he will come at clouds and in great glory and great majesty. And he will tell the warring waves, the warring of the sea and waves, to be still, to stop. There's a great story in the Gospels. You probably know it. It's the story of what Jesus in the boat on the Sea of Galilee. His disciples are paddling across, and uh, waves, a storm comes up. Jesus is asleep in the back. His disciples wake him up, and Jesus says, stop, and the waves are stilled. And what this passage is telling us here out of Luke chapter 25 is that one day Jesus will tell all the waves of every sea, stop. Be still. The Christian hope is not for our, our gradual improvement. Our, the Christian hope is not that we're going to cure every disease and make every war to see. It's not that we shouldn't try. But the Christian hope is the unmissable, uh, decisive intervention of the Son of Man. Does that mean you and I should be, just sit back and relax? Well, the world's going to you know where in a handbasket. Hope Jesus comes soon. No, of course not. Even though we, the final stilling of the waves will come when the Son of Man says, Stop, you and I have a 
role and a responsibility to help still the waves for those who are rocked by the boats of life. I think of Michelle, who we adopted in this congregation some four or five years ago. His family was one of those families that was displaced because of the distress of nations. After four or five years of very faithful work by a group of men and women in this church, we are very, very hopeful that he will be reunited with his family. As for your prayers on Monday morning, 4 a.m., he will have an interview, his family will have an interview with, uh, for their visa, travel visas. After that, it's simply the purchase of a plane tickets. And after four or five years, some of that fear, fainting, and foreboding that one person has experienced will at least in part be mitigated. And we earnestly want to still the ways for Michelle, for others who live with fear and fainting, who live in dread, knowing all the while our ability is limited and his are not. Our solutions are temporary, but the Lord's are not. Nonetheless, we work towards the same end, the stilling of the waves of life. Knowing that when Christ returns, that he will bring redemption. And that's the final point. So we've thought about the age, the end of the age, the age we are currently in, fear, fainting, etc. We'll, we've thought about what will end that age. It won't be gradual. It will be sudden. You're not going to miss it. Don't worry. Now I want to look at the result of his returning. And the result is redemption. And that is a great word. And our, my thoughts will conclude here on this final point thinking about redemption is actually a word used in human commerce. So a, a captive or a master would buy back a slave or a captured, captured soldier. That's what it means to redeem someone. Uh, and the Christian church used this word to describe our future hope that one day that you and I will be redeemed, the chains will come off, we'll be freed from the fetters, uh, the fetters that uh, bound us, right? And that's not only applied to you and me, not only will you and I be redeemed, but the Bible says that all of creation will be redeemed. One of the biblical authors says that the whole creation groans as if it's been enslaved or enchained. And the Christian hope is redemption. You and I are currently enslaved right now, enslaved by bodies that do not work the way they should by emotions that are misguided, by nations that don't function, by waves that rock us. You and I are enslaved, and the Christian hope is that one day the chains will come off. Take a look at your sermon notes. I include a commentary from a theologian named David Hart. And David Hart wrote what I included following a natural disaster, following an actual wave, 2004, a devastating tsunami wiped out, did devastating uh, damage to portions of Southeast Asia. And David Hart wrote this little article in response to some well-intentioned Christians who too quickly looked for the silver lining. Oh, what good could come from this tragic? How will God use this? And David Hart wrote, before we start looking for the silver lining of the cloud, let's first remember the hope, the primary hope that you and I have. And he writes this, God will not simply reveal the sublime, sublime logic of our fallen world. In other words, 
He's not going to tell us why bad things had to happen. That's true. That's not a false statement. But he will not simply do that. Instead, he will strike off the fetters in which creation languishes, and rather than show why terrible things have to happen, he will instead raise us up, wipe away every tear, and there shall be no more death, no more pain, for the former things will have passed away. That's the hope of redemption. On September 22, 1862, Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation that on the first day of January in the year of our Lord, 1,863, all persons held as slave within any state shall be thence and thenceforward and forever free. And I guarantee on January 1st, 1863, those people, 3.5 million slaves who had been enslaved, who had just been freed, were not thinking, gosh, how did my slavery work to better my character? How is this a part of God? They, what they said was, thank God I'm free at last. That's the Christian hope, that you and I will one day be free, free from the chains of this current age, free from sin, free from death, that he will return, strike off the fetters, and we will say, like they have said, free at last. Thank God, free at last. Are you an Advent Christian? Are you an Advent Christian who has a clear sight of the hope that we have? In doing so, do you feel your grip on the passing joys and sorrows of this world loosen just ever so slightly. Reinhold Niebuhr wrote a great prayer. You know it as the serenity prayer. But it's a great Advent prayer as well. And what uh, you'll pick up in this little prayer is that one of the results, one of the tangential results of being an Advent Christian is happiness. Because if you know that your true happiness is out there in the age to come, will be a gift to you, nothing you can achieve, nothing you can, it will simply be when he returns and sets all things right, you'll be free. You'll be free to enjoy the passing moments of happiness in this transitory life. So this from Reinhold Niebuhr, the first stanza you know well, God give me grace to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed, courage to change the things which should be changed, the wisdom distinguish one from the other. Help me to live one day at a time. Help me to enjoy one moment at a time. Help me to accept hardship as a pathway to peace. Help me to take, as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life, trusting that I will be supremely happy in the life to come with you forever. Amen. Please rise.